Hello and welcome, I'm Dr. Nicola and you are watching Aspen Talks Health where we discuss alternative healing modalities and how we can show up more compassionately both for ourselves and the world. And for that exact purpose is why I've invited Michael Gordon here. He is a mindfulness coach and he was trained in Nepal at the Fulbright Foundation. If you've ever wanted to check yourself into a Buddhist monastery, you might not need to after the show. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to uncover, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. We're going to uncover what are ways that we cause our own misery and what are some scientifically proven meditation techniques and mindfulness techniques to find yourself a lot more at peace throughout your day. So let's um, begin. You've spent over a hundred days in silence. That blows my mind. <laughs> How was it? What did you learn? What were yeah. some of the lessons? Talk to us. I think, yeah, it's difficult at first. Um, and then once you stop talking, you realize how much mental chatter you have going on. And I think once that process starts to settle down a little bit, it's this amazing healing process of all of the things that you've been not paying attention to start to come up. Hmm. And you really only have yourself to hold accountable at that point. You know, you're sitting on a cushion <laughs> in a cave by yourself and that's it, you know? Wow. And so you really have to confront your demons. And um, I think it can be very difficult at points, but at other times it can be some of the greatest bliss you've ever experienced. And so once you start to see those waves going up and down, up and down, um, then you can start to ride them, you mm. know? Can you be vulnerable and share one of the demons? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, so I'm a perfectionist. I like, you know, grew up very much by the books. I was always straight A student, all of that kind of thing. Um, and I think in many ways it created a constant need for external validation for myself. Yes. You know, always needing to, to get the next trophy, to next get the next award, get the next whatever, gold star, right? Um, and... That comes from a place that I found where there was just this voice that was like, you're never enough. Mm. You're never enough. You're never enough. You're never enough. And then I think once I spent enough time listening to that voice, you start to see it as just that, a voice. Yeah. You know? And so as I started to separate from it a little bit and see that I wasn't any of my accomplishments, I wasn't any of my actions, you know, and that I was still there <laughs> sitting on a cushion in a cave by myself, you know? Um, I think, again, that was this incredibly liberating moment to give myself the freedom to just be yeah. exactly who I was right then. Amazing. Yeah. It's fascinating how much that shows up. Right. I am someone that needs reassurance. Mm. I, I was raised by a single mom who adored me, and, um, and, so, and she was always there to pat me on the back. And I almost think I grew up needing it and it's also part of my astrology I had my astrology read uh -huh. and done yeah 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 uh, by an amazing woman Carla she's gonna be on the show nice. <laughs> um, but she said that it's okay like that's okay if you need reassurance and totally. you can you should ask your partner for it if that's yeah absolutely and I think with all of those you know again recognizing it as a voice recognizing it is there um, one of my favorite stories from Tibetan Buddhism um, is this monk who is in the mountains and he confronts one of his own demons and of course in Tibetan Buddhism it's this amazing like fire breathing there's dragon. swords everywhere drag yeah all kinds of stuff right <laughs> nice. smoke um, and the first time he goes up to his demon he tries to fight it and use every weapon that he has and I'm sure enough he gets defeated second time he goes up and this time trying more skillfully but this time he tries to trick the demon still doesn't work third time he goes up and he offers himself up to the demon hmm. he gives himself up he surrenders to it 
And at that point, the demon disappears and it becomes a symbol of love for him and compassion. Wow. And so I think for me, that was a big thing with the perfectionism is, like you said, you have to acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. You don't try and suppress it. You don't say, no, that's not the right way to be. You just acknowledge that, hey, that's how I understand love. Yeah. And sometimes I'm going to need that in life, you know? Yeah. And so absolutely, if you're with a partner, yeah. ask for it. And I, but it's also helped me see that when I'm being needy, I'm able to catch myself now. Mm. And then mm -hmm. try and turn within, okay, what do I need from my partner? How can I provide that for myself? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 In this in this school of um, Buddhism and Tantra, they say that we all have feminine and masculine energies inside of us. Right. And that when those are balanced is when we are most able to give to others. Um, but often when we feel that, that need, it's because those are out of balance. And so I think trying to, again, like you said, have that, have that recognition, that awareness of um, when you do need a little bit of help, but then also when you can help yourself, when yeah. you can be there for yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. Explain Tibetan Buddhism. Please. <laughs> well, in a nutshell. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it's a very, very long <laughs> tradition. But um, what drew me to Tibetan Buddhism, I started off first in the Zen tradition, and I really loved it. Um, but it felt like um, a little bit cold, very academic. Um, and then as an artist, I came to Tibetan Buddhism, and it's just this explosion of color. I mean, you walk into one of these monasteries, and every bit is painted in bright red and yellow and blue and gold and uh, orange. And, I mean, it's all of these amazing colors and symbols. Um, and they're all emblematic of different parts of the mind and different parts of the path to enlightenment. Um, and so uh, I think that there was visually a connection there for me. But really what brought me to it is... Um, so there's, a, there's two main schools of Buddhism. One is the um, Theravada, or the old school, and then the other one is the Mahayana. Um, and the Mahayana is known as the great vehicle. And it's because this idea that even if you were to yourself become enlightened, it's not enough. Because all of these other people are still suffering. Mm. And so Mahayana Buddhism is centered around, in Tibetan Buddhism being a sect of that, um, is around this idea of the Bodhisattva one who becomes enlightened for the sake of all other beings, for the benefit of all other beings. Right. So the idea is that even if you could attain this perfect level of concentration, of um, perfect emotional stability, of all of that, you would look around and continue to see all of your fellow beings suffering. Right. And so you would have this uh, a heart that craved happiness for all of them. And so you would work for their alleviation of suffering. And that is what Mahayana Buddhism is centered around. Mm. <clears throat> so the beginning of every prayer, the beginning of every ritual, the beginning of every meditation, you always start with the intention for the benefit of all beings. And then you end with the benefit of all sentient beings. And, um, yeah, I think if we all did that, it would be a really great world. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's so true. But I like just the concept of starting with yourself, though. Of course. Yeah. Because if each one of us did that, totally, then you can spread the love so much nicer. Absolutely. Yeah, so and I think, further. you know, you and I have talked about this before, that you have to be grounded in yourself before you can help others. Right. You know? um, and I think it's, it's this constant balance of understanding that I think we are most at peace, we are most happy when we are loving, when we are giving, Right. But sometimes we need to give that to ourselves, right. and that's totally okay. I love so I've just done a mindfulness course with you, mm. and I love that quote. We are most happy when we are loving, not loved. Mm -hmm. Of course, we need love in our lives, of but when yeah. we're most happy, yeah, is just giving. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, I always think about it. We love. It's great to laugh, right? We all love, love to laugh, but when you 
see somebody down and you make them laugh, it's like the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. It feels so good, you know? And I think that idea of giving to others, right? Of that, um, that selflessness. Yeah. Um, the Dalai Lama has a quote that says, uh, if you want to bring happiness for yourself, be kind to others. If you mm. want to bring happiness to others, be kind to others, you know? And it's this idea that I think, especially in our world, um, especially in the West, we have a lot of time that we spend thinking about how we can bring our own satisfaction. Mm. You know, whether it's our job or our, our house or our car or what we're wearing or whatever. Um, and I think social media does a lot to make us think about our personal brand, you mm. know? And not that it, there's anything wrong with any of that, but I think that the more time you can spend looking outside of that and looking at what's going on around you, the happier you'll be. Yeah, and how you can serve. Yeah, That's exactly. Exactly. How you I can love serve. it. What else did you learn? You spent some time at a Tibetan Buddhist monastery, correct? Mm -hmm. Were there mm -hmm. any other lessons you want to share from that space? Oh, man, where to begin? <laughs> um, I think one of them was the power of listening. Mm. Um, I think that I'm somebody who... Uh, I enjoy talking, I enjoy having great conversations, but I think that um, one of the best lessons I learned was to shut up and listen, you know? That I think that there's a lot, a lot that we don't know. And somehow I think that trying to pretend like we do is a disservice to ourselves and to those around us. Um, and I think I came in there, I was on this scholarship, I you know, like felt like I was this academic and I knew all these things. Um, and I remember there was one day I was sitting uh, my cushion it was sort of in between teaching sessions. And there were some people pretty close to me and they were discussing the session that just happened. And we had set the rules that in the Dharma Hall, in this, in this monastery, while you're in there, maintain silence. Yeah, because there might be some people like myself who are just trying to meditate and it's easier to do it when it's quiet. But these people are of course talking, 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 talking. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, these people are interrupting my meditation. How could they be so ignorant? Oh, it's so frustrating. And uh, I went and asked my teacher about it later. And I said, how could they be interrupting my meditation? And in perfect, like, llama fashion, he goes, really? Your meditation? Yeah. And it was just this perfect, like, of course. And he goes, yeah, those are the best teachers you have, you know? Listen. Mm -hmm. They're trying to teach you something because whatever it's coming up with, yeah. that's coming up inside of you. Yeah. You got to deal with that anger. You got to deal with that resentment or that frustration or whatever. Um, and to really think about wanting the benefit for all sentient beings, yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's exactly it. You know, stepping outside of yourself and listening for a little bit. That concept of possession, mm -hmm. it causes so much misery. Oh, yes. Uh, my car, my road, mm -hmm. they're cutting in front of my lane. Right. You know, exactly. this is my shopping, what, all totally. this mine, my house. Exactly, exactly. It, yeah, it, I mean, and that's, I think, one of the, the great teachings of Buddhism is eventually it gets back to this idea of not self or no self. Um, and that what we call as the sort of mental, physical reaction of, or interaction, excuse me, um, that we label as a self is completely illusory. Right. There's, uh, you know, now we know through modern science that within, what is it, like 10 years, every single cell in your body will be different than it is right now. Um, so physically, you're not the same. Right. And we all, if you've tried to sit with your mind for a minute, that doesn't stay the same, right? It's constantly changed. So where is the boundary where you start and something else ends? And I think the other thing to really, that's very important to remember with that is this idea of interdependence, right? I would not be here without you. There's uh, a great teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he always talks about um, 
seeing the rain in a piece of paper. Oh. Right? So when you look at a piece of paper, you remember the tree from which it came. Oh, and you remember the soil from the tree, or that the tree came from. And then you remember the nutrients. And those nutrients only are allowed to grow with water. And where did that water come from? It came from the rain and the clouds. So remembering that sort of constant interdependence, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that it, it comes back to this idea of sort of taking responsibility for your own happiness, right? Yeah. You, earlier we talked about the things that get in our way and that idea of possession, right? How could you get in the way of my meditation, right? Or cut in front of my car on my road in my house, you know? Um, and understanding that none of that would exist without that, without that other person, right? Without the person who built that house, who built the, uh, the road underneath you, who helped you get gas in your car, whatever it was, right? Mm. Um, and the more that we can see that interdependence, um, you realize you don't have much to own, yeah. you know? Yeah. My trick to road rage, by the way, is to think that the person in front of me is a friend. Oh, that's a great one. So they must be yeah. like, you know, busy or trying to figure something out. That's why they're going so slow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, you'd be yeah. so much more sensitive to someone if you thought, oh, that was my best friend. Right. You would never just lay exactly. on the horn. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a great practice. We've done it a lot in class. It's uh, called Tonglen, and it's the idea of giving and taking. Yeah. Um, and you start first with a, love mem uh, a family member or a loved one somebody who it's very easy to give love to, right? Because we love to help out our friends. We're going to do this at the end, the loving-kindness meditation? Yes. Is that what you're referring yeah. to? But keep going, uh -huh. go ahead. You're no, excited. I was just going to say that um, you start off with a friend, and then you do a complete stranger, and then eventually you start doing it with the people who bother you, you yeah. know, who frustrate you in your life. And the, the, the trick, the idea is to remember that they too want to be happy, yeah. just like you, you know? Um, and I think the more that you can do that, whether it's road rage or somebody cuts in front of you in the grocery line or whatever it is, you know, they're just trying to be happy too. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it brings so much more compassion when you can do that, yeah. when you can just identify with that. People just have their stuff and they're not always aware mm -hmm. and they get triggered too. And Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, what else causes or how else do we create our own misery? Are there any other things that come to <laughs> There's mind? There's a very, very long list. <laughs> sure. um, yeah, I mean, I think that idea of attachment and aversion, those are the biggest ones for me. That um, we, I think the way that our um, mind or our, this, this sort of human consciousness has evolved, um, in many ways you can trace all of this uh, evolutionary, evolutionarily, there we go. Um, in the way that we, we form aversion towards things that could harm us and we form attractions towards things that we like, right? It's the reason that we're really attracted to salty and sugary food, right? Mm. Because we, it's calorically dense, it's going to give us what we want. Um, but I think starting to step back from that and understand that those are knee-jerk physiological reactions. Um, and the further that we go with science, the more we're able to track this on a neurological level, on a biological level, um, we can start to see how these instant knee-jerk reactions are forming the way that we think about the world, right? I meet you for the first time. Yeah, I remember you came up and you gave me this big smile and instantly I was like, oh, she's great, right? <laughs> Why? I knew nothing about you, but you gave me a big smile and so it gave me this feeling of safety and security and happiness and all that, right? But it was, of course, like a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. Had you walked up and you know, had this like scowl on your face and been like, oh really, you're gonna wear that? You know, I, it probably would have been completely yeah. different and I would have formulated this complete illusion, this, this deception about you and then treated you accordingly. Fascinating. Going on from then, right? 
Um, yeah, and it's totally possible that I could have showed up that day because of something that just happened in that way. Totally, totally. Maybe somebody came up to you and just commented on some way you look. You know, right. you have no idea where people yeah. are coming from, right? Um, but we generally like the people who are kind to us, and we don't like the people who are not kind to us, right? Which is a complete, like, obvious statement, but when we start to break that down, why are we so entitled to this constant need of gratification, right? Mm. Um, and I think the more that you can start to parcel those out, um, to start to see where you're becoming adverse towards things, where you're developing an attraction towards things. Um, you know, there's a, a wonderful study I always love um, where I think one of the ways that our mind works is the body reacts first and then the mind processes it as emotion, right? Um, they did a wonderful study where, I'm going to borrow your pen. Please. They had a group of uh, undergraduate psych students, how most studies happen, right? And they had to do something really boring. They had to sort beads from one, you know, it was a jar, and then they had to bring out all, all the red ones, something really boring. And they had half of the people do it while holding a pen in their mouth huh. like that, and then right. the other half like that. Yeah. Who do you think enjoyed the study more? The one that are smiling. Exactly, because this uh, simulates a smile. And so because we have that physiological response, our mind cognizes it as happiness or enjoyment or you know, pleasure from that, right? Um, and so I think the more that we can start to break those things down, the more we start to see the way that we are creating a completely f often false conception of the world um, mm. that's creating our own misery. You know? um, one of that is that idea of attachment with, with possession. You know? um, I think another one that comes up a lot is um, our relationship with others. You know, we say, oh, they're such a wonderful listener. You know, or like, oh my God, they're such a positive person. And then maybe that person goes through a rough time and they're not able to listen as well or they're not able to be as positive. And we say to them, oh my God, who are you anymore? Like, I don't even know you. You're not being a great friend. You're not there for me. You don't listen. You're not positive. Well, of course not, right? People change and they constantly they're constantly moving, but that idea, that projection that we have, this like model, they say um, often like we make an, an icon or a, uh, a sculpture of a person in our mind, right? And they have to be that. And then when they don't live up to that, we get upset. Yeah. Why? That person is completely different. This is just a, a sculpture we've made in our mind. One screenshot, basically. Exactly, exactly. So other than maybe forcing physiological changes so sitting up straight makes you feel might be more proud and mm -hmm. more strong and, and cracking a smile when you're not happy um, are there any other ways that we can stop this behavior this yeah the there's a lot we don't want? I mean I think the biggest one for me if you know if you're just starting off is try and become aware of your breath mm. um, it's scientifically proven that even after a couple of minutes, um, you revert from your sympathetic to your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, actually, with every exhale, you're, you're going into your parasympathetic, but you're, you're basically slowing down your flight or fight reaction. And you're going to um, this more nurturing, more sort of lateral way of thinking where you are um, embracing what's around you. Mm. Yeah. Um, and becoming more aware of the present moment. It's one of the reasons that they always say, okay, if you're angry, count to 10, right? And you do it with the breath. But I think that even if you can just spend five minutes a day just paying attention to your in-breath and your out-breath, your in-breath and out-breath, I think that that's really big. Yeah. And, then I, and then I think it moves from there to once you start to get that awareness, then you can start to see these um, 
sort of the movie that's happening in your mind. Um, and once uh, you can start to see these frames, like you said, uh, that are happening, you can start to notice some space in between. And then you can notice the frames are just frames. You know, they're just projections of the mind. Um, so a really, I think, uh, uh, a powerful exercise that uh, I've been doing recently um, and was taught to me uh, by a great teacher. It's this idea that memory is very malleable, right? Um, you think of a memory as a book on a shelf, and every time that we pull it off, um, our fingerprints get on it, right? Or we change up the pages a little bit, or we reorganize them. And that's just the way that memory works. It's called consolidation. Um, and the technique is you basically think about, um, and you could do this with one, or you could do this you know, systematically through your entire life. Um, you think about a time where you had resentment towards a person, or you had a lot of frustration towards a person. And then you go back, you picture out that entire segment, and then you try and rethink how you could have acted more skillfully, mm. more patiently, more kindly, whatever. And then just pay attention to the way that your body feels when you play that scenario out. And the idea is not that you are forgetting the memory and that you're going to tell yourself, oh, actually, it didn't happen like that. I've remade this entire memory. The idea is that what that helps you to do is release those feelings of tension, resentment, of anger, of hatred, whatever it is, right. towards that person or towards yourself maybe in that situation. And it helps you find some catharsis. Mm. And then, of course, the idea of that you act more skillfully is that you are wishing for the benefit of the other person too. Yeah, I love um, that. And so that the next time you see that person, hopefully you'll be a little bit kinder. I love it. Yeah. Brendan Burchard is a, a man I follow online and he has a high performance planner book that mm -hmm. he asks you all these wonderful questions to start your day and then a journal in the evening. Mm -hmm. But one of the questions in the morning is, what's something that's gonna trip you up today? Yes. Mm. And how do you mm -hmm. want to respond? Right, right. Fascinating. Yeah. It, it, it helps so much to choose how you want to respond wisely so that you're not just in this reaction mode. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's wonderful technique to totally set your mind right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Set that intention. Yeah, uh, before it happens instead of having to change <laughs> the memory after. <laughs> exactly. Try and be proactive. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, what are some things that distract the mind? Oh, wow. That's another wonderful, long, long laundry list. Um, I think this is where the contemporary mindfulness movement, and you know, we see it on everything from the cover of Time magazine to everybody's doctor's office, you know, everybody downloads this new meditation app. It's wonderful, and I think that it's great that people are doing it. But in Buddhism, um, or at least the Buddhism that I learned, they, they talk about three, um, three disciplines. And it basically goes ethical practice, focus, and then wisdom. Okay. In that order. Okay. And the idea is that until you have your ethics down, it's very hard to stay concentrated. Huh. And I think this is where it gets into what distracts the mind. Um, for me, one of the big things uh, that I, I stopped doing when I was in um, the monastery in Nepal was drinking. Yeah. And it was just, um, it wasn't like I had a severe problem with it. I mean, I have a long line in my family of problems with it, but I personally never did. But I found that things just would just get hazy, you know? We all know what it's like to wake up in the morning, and yeah, things just don't totally add up, right? Um, and I think since doing that, 
I don't feel like I've lost a lot, and I feel like I've gained so much more. So much. Um, you, you look at the other like five principles of um, sort of ethics in Buddhism, which is um, non not killing, not stealing, not lying, no sexual misconduct, which basically just means don't harm another person or don't hurt another person, and then no intoxicants. Um, and I think once you start to think about those, you start to think about ethics not so much as like a, a, a code or a rule that you can't do this and you can't do this. You start to see it much more as balance Yeah. for me. Um, where when I lie and I want to keep that up, I have to make more lies and right. more lies and more lies until I'm completely off balance and then I can barely keep my story straight. Yeah. First is just telling the truth, then you can stay grounded. Yeah. You know? um, and so, yeah, I think with distracting the mind, it's, it's starting to think about right action. Right? Yeah. Funny, we, I just committed on Sunday to not drinking anymore. And hey, then we met and talked about this, how yeah. the Buddha's... It, it, and it makes so much sense because it's true. It clouds the mind. It takes it, You end up doing things that you wouldn't do sober. Right. And it, 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 you, you're not behaving as you choose because you're right. not in the place of choice anymore. Totally. In, and I should know. also say with that, I mean, I think, yeah, doing things that you wouldn't normally do. A lot of people say with alcohol, like... Oh, it's the social lubricant, right? It, it allows me to relax and just be myself and I can just have fun. And I think that the more time you start to spend with your mind, the less afraid of it you become. Yeah. And the more you can just be yourself and not worry about it so much. Yeah. I mean, the, the lamas, the teachers that I met out in Nepal, they're the silliest people I've ever met in my mm -hmm. life. They just start bursting out laughing for basically no reason. I you love know? it. Um, and I think part of that is they start to play, you know? Yeah. That it becomes much more of just, why wouldn't you take this moment as an opportunity yeah. for happiness? Yeah. yeah. We have literally two minutes left. Is there any <laughs> way you can do a loving kindness meditation in two minutes? Sure. sure. All right, let's try and bang one out really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that appropriate for Buddhism? Why not? Okay. <laughs> um, so if you could sit comfortably, uh, make sure your back is as straight as possible. If you're in a chair like this, make sure your feet are grounded, hands are on your knees. And take a moment to breathe. Inhale through your nose. Hold it. And exhale. Start to become aware of your breath. Sensations around your nose. Letting whatever sensations arise exactly as they are, without judgment. Now, if you can picture in front of yourself a time when you were really struggling with whatever it was, a difficult time. And on your next inhale, imagine yourself taking in that pain, taking in that hardship, holding it for a second, and then dissolving it as you exhale, breathing out exactly what you needed in that moment. Patience, love, warmth. So breathing in your pain, holding it for a second. And as you exhale, let it dissolve into patience, happiness. One more time, breathe in as much as you can. Take it on as much hurt, as much pain, as much suffering. Hold it for a second. 
Let it dissolve. And exhale happiness, peace, love. Imagining in yourself filling with light. And on your last inhale, imagine that it echoes out throughout the world to not only benefit yourself, but all beings. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Michael, for being <laughs> no, on my show. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so check out you guys, AspenTalksHealth.com. We'll put Michael's contact information so you can get a hold of him. And um, lots of love to everyone.